Good evening. We're glad you're here this evening. As Brian said, we're a little, little shorthanded uh, among some of our men and other things. We've got lots of folks who are out and about running around. It is vacation time as well as we've got the folks who are on the mission trip and many other those who are not with us this evening, but we're thankful that you're here and look forward to staying together for just a few moments. Uh, we appreciate so much your willingness to be here as we sing together and worship together. As we said this morning, it's always encouraging. We're going to cover another lesson tonight in our One Word series. If you think that we just did that a week or two ago, we did. Uh, but in the month of June, we've got several Sunday nights that we'll lose uh, as far as our regular service or regular sermon. Uh, of course, in a couple of weeks, we'll have our vacation Bible school that will begin on Sunday night. So we'll have our uh, class time in here beginning that series on Joseph. Uh, and so we'll not, I won't have a regular sermon that evening. And if I'm not mistaken, the last Sunday night of the month will be our uh, singing with uh, North Hamilton, the congregation back here at our building. So uh, when we come down to the last, only a few Sundays this month, the series that we've been looking at with one word and as well with our book of the month, we need to get to those. So where we kind of had to put it off in May a little bit, we need to get right to it in June. But I hope this study has been beneficial to you as you, we think about some of the words that the Bible uses. Uh, to begin tonight, I'd like to just remind you of a little bit of where we've come and where we're headed. Uh, this particular book, this series that we've been looking at, the study um, that you can purchase there, the books that go along with this, uh, it's broken down into a few things. One of those, the first section is what they called big picture words. We looked at the idea of word or the word, as well as creation, sin, wrath, and grace, some of the big picture words that we think about that really matter when it comes to the Bible. If you think about what would I want to teach someone, how would I want to work uh, with someone to teach them about the Bible, they need to understand about creation, about God. They need to understand about sin and, of course, wrath and grace. When we come over to the next section of words, there's a grouping of Christian character. Now, there's more than just the four that are up there, but these are the first four that we'll come to in the next few months, God willing to look at. Mercy, love, forgiveness, kindness. There are some overlap when it comes to these words, and we're going to see that uh, tonight a little bit as we talk about the word mercy. But this is sort of where we've been and a little bit of where we're headed as we think about some of these words from the Bible. Again, this is meant to be sort of a 52-week study, uh, if you will, um, but we're going to take it kind of month by month to kind of spread it out. But we are going to look at the word mercy. When you think about the word mercy, there may be diff different things that come to your mind. Of course, our goal for this evening is to get to what the Bible has to say about mercy. Before we get to the Bible, it does help us sometimes to think about what Webster has to say or someone like that, of course, as we think about our dictionaries and things that we use uh, today. Sometimes that helps. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily. The big word that we usually point out when it comes to looking at the worldly definition is baptism. We can't just look up what baptism is because Webster or whoever might have picked uh, something that went along with their line of thinking. So we can't just trust what the dictionary says, but a lot of times it gives us an idea. So the idea of mercy, just from our regular English language, the dictionary, would be showing compassion or forbearance to, one, to an offender. Excuse me. Showing compassion or forbearance to an offender. Now, notice a couple of things here. One is interesting as we think about compassion, showing mercy or compassion to someone. We understand in general what that's saying. But the other part is the idea of an offender. We're going to talk about a particular person in just a few moments that we talked about I guess two Sundays ago now, with the last Sunday morning lesson that I was able to preach here with the Good Samaritan. 
There's your story on mercy. Now that person that was on the side of the road was not necessarily an offender, but yet mercy was still shown. But a lot of times we do think of mercy, of showing compassion or forbearance to an offender. Now most of the time we try to look at a couple of words doesn't necessarily mean a lot to us from the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words that are translated mercy or merciful. The first one there, raham, is used 125 times. Now that's that word or a derivative of it. And it's used as a verb to describe having compassion or being merciful. If you have your Bible with you and you're following along, turn to Exodus 33. There were several references to God being merciful from the book of Exodus. And of course, that means something to us here at Saudi and especially to our young people as we have recently been covering Exodus. But Exodus 33 and verse number 19. And this is, of course, after the appearance and the occasion of the golden calf. But a little bit later, 33, 19, then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have the new King James says compassion on whom I have compassion. This idea here, of course, again, of having compassion or showing mercy to someone. The noun, you may have heard this before, I've heard other preachers say this, but the noun form of this word uh, is sometimes translated as bowels. We think about our bowels inside of our body, our part of our body, the idea of a deep feeling or a deep emotion that sometimes comes from this particular word at the top of the screen. But again, mercy compassion, loving kindness, all of these things are used to speak of God. If you're there in Exodus, look at 34 and verse number 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. So we see in the Old Testament this word used specifically to describe God. When we go to the New Testament, there are actually three words, and as you think about our English language, you can see the connection there from some of the words that are used. The first one is Elias, and it is used 28 times. If you've got your Bible, look in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4. This is going to be a key verse for us tonight, but Ephesians 2 and verse number 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. I don't want to spend too much time here because we're going to come back and talk about this in a moment, but we see this word Elias used there. The other forms of the word is a, a verb form and an adjective form. Again, both of them have to do with compassion, showing compassion. The one thing, and I didn't put this on the screen, but I'll mention this to you that I like to consider. When we think about the idea of mercy, this first word, I'm going to point over here, uh, the first word here on the top of the screen, Elias, the word that's used there, when we think about it being used in the New Testament, the writer of this particular study mentions this fact. It is assumed that the recipient is in need of mercy and that the one showing it has adequate resources to meet the need. So when we think about the problem of sin, for instance, I can't fix the problem of sin. I don't have the resources adequate to meet the problem of sin and to fix the problem of sin. God did. He sent his only begotten son. Jesus did. He shed that sinless blood on the cross. But it's interesting that this idea of compassion or mercy 
carries with it the idea that a person is in need of mercy and the one showing it has the resources to meet the need. So again, without getting too deep into a word study, that is certainly part of it there. Thank you, brother. So if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 9 with me for just a moment. I like to share with you oftentimes some of the ideas that go along with this from the particular writers who share this particular study. And in Matthew chapter 9, and again, we're going to look at a second passage here in just a moment, uh, there is at least two occasions where Matthew uh, talks about Jesus referring specifically to something that Hosea says. If you've got your Bible there in Matthew 9, 9 through 13, and really to those at the end, the Pharisees ask him, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse number 11. And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. And here's the quotation. You may have it in your Bible in front of you. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here it seems it's kind of an interesting thought that Jesus almost gives a bit of a homework assignment. He says, go and learn what this means. Now, if you've got your Bible there, flip over a page or two to Matthew chapter 12 and verses 1 through 8. When you look there, it seems almost like once he says, go and learn, that on another occasion, and this may not have been the same people, we don't have an exact way of knowing, but if you go down in verse number seven, he says, but if you had known what this means, and he quotes again from Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. So it seems in chapter nine, like it's a bit of a homework assignment. You go and learn this. And then on another occasion, it seems that maybe they failed to fulfill that homework assignment. In both situations, Jesus is addressing Pharisees who are unwilling to accept the way Jesus is dealing with people. This idea of showing mercy. So he quotes from Hosea, a verse that they should know. And it may not be broken down in Hosea 6, 6 like we have it. But he seems to give them this homework. Go and learn. Figure out what this means I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's a good lesson for a lot of us to learn as we consider exactly what that means. What it means to show mercy and compassion and to have that as a part of our life. Let's talk about a couple of examples. The first one comes from Matthew again. Matthew 18 beginning in verse number 21. This is the parable or the story of the unmerciful servant. You may have a Bible that says the unforgiving servant. If you look down through there, you may recall this. This is the person who owed his master. If you have your Bible there in front of you, in verse number 24, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I'm not going to get down into every little bit of this particular parable here, or this particular story, but as Jesus is talking about forgiving and showing mercy, here he says that the master has someone who owes him 10,000 talents. He forgives him. You go on down further. That same person goes and finds somebody else in verse number 28 that owes him 100 denarii. We know, and again, without the, the nitty-gritty details, here's a large amount owed that is forgiven. And that person forgiven goes and tries to basically hang a person who owes just a little amount. And we see the conflict there. And we say, that doesn't sound right. How should it be that if you're forgiven a large debt that you would not be willing to forgive someone just a little bit? The unforgiving servant or the un 
merciful servant. It's a graphic reminder of God's mercy toward us. Not only that, but the response that God's mercy towards us should have when we show it to others. It's not just we should be thankful that we've been received God's mercy, but we should show that to others. And of course, there is a tragic consequence of failing to allow his mercy to flow through us. In that story, if you recall, the man who was forgiven the large debt, when he goes and tries to get the little bit back from the other guy, he's going to find himself with a, a terrible consequence. If you still, still open there to verse number 32, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Mercy, being willing to show compassion. And again, back to our definition, especially to one who is an offender. What a great reminder. God's mercy to us and how God's mercy should flow through us to others. Well, any number of things. It's sometimes sad, the grudges we will hold and the way that we will go through and not being merciful to others. One more example, Luke chapter 10. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time here because you recall this if you were with us a couple of weeks ago as we talked about the Good Samaritan. But this example, of course, is a classic example of what mercy looks like. We cannot prove it, but it is certainly possible that the priest and Levite could have felt some pity. Again, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's possible that they felt some pity in their hearts as they each one of them passed by on the other side. However, it is only the Samaritan that stops and becomes personally involved. So this story also provides a dual example for us. How Jesus has shown mercy by rescuing us from Satan's attempt to destroy us and how we can show mercy to others even strangers, when we see them in need. You know, remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there wasn't an offender here necessarily, and that this man and these two people from opposite side of the tracks, if you will, as we say it sometimes, you see it between them. It's not necessarily an offender, but there is conflict. There is an issue here. And so when we see this mercy shown by this good Samaritan to this certain man who was traveling, we learn a good lesson about how we see it between ourselves and how we can show mercy to others. Again, the priest and Levite might have felt pity, but it did not cause them or move them to action. How can we have mercy on others, show mercy, not only in our thoughts and in our feeling, our emotion, but even certainly in our actions. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 for just a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Again, I, I share with you that the, uh, the particular writers of this book have a, a, a set of daily devotions. Um, and so I usually try to take a couple of those that I think are pertinent for us and share them. The first one, or one we're going to look at this evening out of the five, we won't look at all five for time's sake, but the first one carries with it the idea of Dennis the Menace. Many of you are familiar with the cartoon character, Dennis the Menace. He is, of course, a perpetual menace to his neighbor, Mr. or his neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Wilson. 
And the author of this particular devotional says, despite Dennis's perpetual mischievousness, Mrs. Wilson, Mrs. Wilson, is always kind and gracious to him. In one particular cartoon, Dennis and his friend Joey are seen leaving the Wilson house with their hands full of their favorite cookies. And Joey asks, I wonder what we did to deserve this. And Dennis responds, look, Joey, Mrs. Wilson gave us cookies not because we're nice, but because she's nice. And Dennis's answer is spot on. We, kind of like Dennis the Menace, have done nothing to deserve God's unfathomable mercy and grace, but yet God extends it to us. We sometimes feel like David. You may recall what David said in Psalm 8 and verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? We sometimes feel like that little speck or that little ant in a great big world and we feel like we don't deserve it. But yet sometimes we are given that anyways. To take an example from Paul, look in 1 Timothy chapter 1 there in verse number 15. Paul knows who he is, what he is, and what he has done. He says in verse number 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He could have stopped there. He could have said, Jesus came to the world to save sinners. And you know what? He would have been right. But Paul goes on to say, of whom I am chief. Paul knows. He knows he is the foremost sinner. He knows who he is, what he is, and what he has done. You go backwards in 1 Timothy chapter 1 there to verse number 13. He recounts some of those things. He says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, or a violently arrogant man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Go forward again, 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 16. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. For that in me, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul knew he was a sinful man. He knew about his violent past. But twice, twice here he says, I received mercy. And what Paul shows, what we don't get to see in the Good Samaritan is maybe the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. But what Paul is saying is, I was a terrible person. I obtained mercy. He says it twice. And he shows forth that mercy through the rest of his life. He dedicates his life to sharing this message. He's the one that will speak up at a meeting or speak up at a conference and say, I'm the one who did it. I was the worst. And yet I can show that I have changed. I can show that God is willing to show his mercy to anyone who would accept it. As a result of God's indescribable mercy and Paul's humble obedience, this apostle, Paul, could face all of life's challenges. Even as we talked about this morning, the storms of life, the difficulties we face, Paul says, with God's mercy, I can face those things. And even death. He could face with confidence and even with a bit of anticipation, knowing of that hope that he had in eternal life. You see, kind of like Dennis the Menace had to recognize, you know, it's not just about me. 
It's about this nice person who has done something nice for me. We have to recognize the same thing. It's God's unfathomable mercy that is shown to us, even though we don't deserve it. And as we said just a few moments ago, if you've got your Bible, you can turn back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4. I ask you the question, are we like David? We're all sinners. We know that, Romans 3, 23, that we are all sinners. That's a truth that we cannot deny, that we cannot try to hide. Yet many of us, or how many of us, are like David, not just that we sin, but that we sin and we try to cover it up pretending that it never happened. We recall what David did with Bathsheba, with going and getting Uriah from battle, then sending him back to battle and to the front of the battle. How many of us, like David, have tried to find solace in this charade of innocence, carrying ourselves on like nothing is wrong? How many of us, like David, have kept silent about our sins while living a life of guilt and regret? How many of us, like David, have had our sins exposed here's an interesting thought how many of us like david have had our sins exposed even as the prophet nathan comes to him and says you are the man you're the one who has done this how many of us are like david later david would write he would characterize his life of sinful deceptions as wasting away he would say that it was groaning all day long and his strength dying up as the heat of summer which of course is a good description for us as we get into this heat that we've been facing david says this is what a sinful life is like and yet many times we are like him we are all sinners but yet we said a moment ago ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4 that we serve a god who is rich in mercy How many of us are living lives that are wasting away because we are willing, excuse me, unwilling to acknowledge our sinfulness or we're too ashamed to confess our sins? Why do we continue to live this life of misery? Many times we we sort of lock ourselves in our own prison of going through these things because we will not confess. We will not admit. David felt the freedom once he was willing to write things like the 51st Psalm where he could say that I need a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And of course, we carry forward to Ephesians 2 and 4 that Paul reminds those Christians in Ephesus that they serve a God who is rich in mercy. Notice going on down through there to verse number 5, he continues on driving home the point, even when we were dead even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's what God was willing to do. We might look at ourselves and say, they're too far gone. They're too far gone. We can't help them. It's too late. But Paul says God recognized that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but he was so rich in mercy that he was willing to make us alive together with Christ. He was willing to send His only begotten Son. And even last month, if you remember last month as we talked about grace, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. The Hebrew writer encouraged the Christians to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Remember, we talked about that, that we we can come boldly before it because it is the throne of grace. But continuing on through that in Ephesians 4 there, 
that we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are we like David? We certainly are sometimes. We continue on in our sin. We continue to try to cover it up and bury it until that mound gets bigger and bigger. Once David was freed from that, and it took Nathan confronting him. It took Nathan looking him in the eye and saying, calling him out on what he had done. But once he was freed from that and accepted that mercy from God, he was willing or able to move on and to live a life faithful to God. Sometimes we suffer and lock ourselves in our own prison, but we need to be reminded that God is rich in mercy. Remember what we said at the beginning. Mercy carries with it the idea that a person is in need and that the person who's willing to help has adequate resources to meet the need. Gets back to the idea that we sometimes share. People say, not me, I'm beyond help. God's mercy can help. God's mercy can save. He extends that mercy if we would only become obedient, even as Paul saw there and mentions in his various letters. I'd like to share with you an illustration that was in the book here as we begin to conclude our thoughts, and then the lesson will be yours. This illustration uh, is from the time of Napoleon, and I'd like to share this story with you. It says that a young man had been arrested for stealing from the royal palace twice. A young man arrested for stealing from the royal palace twice. So because of that, he was sentenced to hang. When he was sentenced to hang, the boy's mother sought mercy on behalf of her son from Napoleon I of France, who reigned from 1804 to 1814. And Napoleon answered the mother's plea. Napoleon said, this boy has stolen from my palace twice now. He deserves justice and justice is death. The mother replied, but I don't ask for justice, your highness. I seek mercy. Napoleon responded, he does not deserve mercy. And the mother looked at Napoleon and she said, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. It would not be mercy if he deserved it. The story goes, again as it's told, that touched by the mother's grief and passion, Napoleon consented and released the boy. It would not be mercy if he deserved it. Part of the issue with mercy, I think, for us is, is we have trouble accepting it. We have trouble thinking that we're worthy of it. We don't deserve it. But yet God was willing to extend it to us. And he's willing to extend it to others. When you think about the gospel... When you think about the good news of Christ, what, what is that? What do we share with others? Well, it's a lot. We share about Jesus' life, his blood, his death, burial, and resurrection, all of those things. But I think part of the interesting part of that story is the idea of mercy. Part of the message is mercy and grace that God extends towards every sinner. And we can share that sometimes with others, and we can be thankful for that. Tonight, as we conclude our lesson, we ask for you to consider are you enjoying God's mercy? That's the first step. You really can't share it with anyone else unless you're enjoying it yourself. Are you enjoying God's mercy? Maybe tonight you are not and you need to become a Christian. We'll be singing in a moment to encourage you to make that great decision. Putting on Christ in baptism, enjoying all spiritual blessings that are found in Him. You can leave enjoying that mercy and then you can begin to show that mercy to others. 
Are you showing mercy to others? In various forms, certainly as we think about God's mercy, the mercy of the Bible, but even in other situations. Maybe you're here tonight and you are a Christian, but you've wandered away. Maybe you've turned to a life that doesn't show that mercy of God to you through you to others, and you realize you need to make a change. We'll be singing in a moment to encourage you as well that you would not delay, that you would not wait, either by becoming a Christian tonight or coming back to him. Oh, why not tonight, even now as we stand together and as we sing.